What's going on, friend? Thanks for checking out the Lens Setter Show. I'm your host, Preston Schmidley, and I'm very, very excited for this episode with Barry Habib. You know, this was actually something we shot last September at our Lens Setter Mastermind. It's a very exclusive meeting with 50 of the members of our community, and we did a lot of business building uh, stuff. Barry was one of the speakers, and so we had a very rare opportunity to have him on our podcast. We talk about a lot of cool things. We talked about, uh, Barry actually made some predictions. It's kind of cool to see how those played out for 2023. Uh, we talked about how to build a, a strong uh, and effective sales process and just how to sell more mortgages in general, whether rates are low, whether they're higher. This episode is going to give you some tools and some, some knowledge to help you combat whatever market conditions you're in. Uh, very excited to share this episode with you. I do want to warn you, I'm coming off of the, uh, in this episode, I'm coming off of the tail end of a sickness where I lost the majority of my voice but uh, I had to seize the opportunity to spend some time with my good friend, Barry. So enjoy this episode, uh, dive in, take notes. There's a lot of good nuggets in here. I'll see you there. Welcome to The Lensetter Show, the show that blends the art of sales, the science of success, and the strategies of real experts in the mortgage and sales industries to help you grow your client base, increase your revenue, and get in control of your life. I'm your host, Preston Schmidley. Kick back, enjoy the episode, and don't forget to subscribe. What's going on, friends? Welcome to The Lensetter Show. I'm your host, Preston Schmidley, and I'm here with a good friend of mine, Barry Habib. He's a very esteemed professional within the mortgage industry. And on this episode, we're going to be diving in to a lot of really good topics, mostly centered around what's happening in the housing market and how mortgage professionals can go into this next season and really maximize their growth and seize market share. So uh, without further ado, Barry, thank you for being on the show with us. I appreciate you, bro. So good to be with you, bro. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one of the things I actually wanted to start on um, is... Uh, I find this fascinating, I've gone through it twice now, is your book, Money in the Streets. And uh, I have a lot of notes. At, that I, I love all the blue stickies yeah, in there. Yeah, there's a lot of highlighter too as I go through oh, the pages. Oh, but, man. Um, you know, one of the things that I find fascinating about your story is, you know, I think a lot of people that know you know the success of Barry Habib. They know MBS Highway, they know the speaking, they, they see you at these events and, and they love you for that. But one of the things I think is cool is kind of that return to like what you where you came from and, and how you launched that. Um, you know, one of my favorite one one of my favorite parts of Money in the Streets was where you talked about your parents immigrating to the United States and um, your mom was working in a factory and, and there was actually a point where like, your dad had a heart attack and your mom had to really take over you know, not only providing for the family, like as a, like making sure the kids made it, you know, and were alive, but also as the breadwinner, right? And so um, I'd be curious just to talk a little bit about what you feel were some of your biggest lessons on the journey from, you know, coming from your, uh, the foundation that your parents helped you establish coming to this country, and then how you took that and created this opportunity. Because the book, like the title is pretty self-explanatory, Money's in the Streets, and this is a belief that you have where money's all around us. We just have to be able to look for it and see it, right? Um, I'd be curious about some of the things that you felt were paramount in your development to who you are today. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, so much of it is. So uh, my parents were immigrants from Europe, and like so many people, they came to this country, and they were told about the riches in America. And they said, you know, America's such a rich country, there's money in the streets. And, you know, they were older. My dad was 57, my mom was 40, and then they found out, oh, guess what? You're pregnant. And wow. Yeah, so um, I arrived on the scene, yeah. much, much younger than my other siblings, and I'm first generation born here in the States. 
And as I was growing up, um, we had plenty of plenty of adversity, like so many people do. Sure. You know, we grew up really, really poor. As immigrants, they had nothing. They, they came from Turkey. Our background's from Spain, but they had several generations in Turkey, and they actually had a good life there. Um, but they wanted to come to America for the future. Right. And for sure. Um, I am so grateful to that. Never forget that, and always try and honor that. So as they as they came here, they were a bit disillusioned because there wasn't exactly money in the streets, you right. know. Um, and they would tell me the story about almost how ridiculous it was to think that there was money in the streets and how wealthy the country was. And you know, my my dad wound up, as you mentioned, he passed away when I was a young boy. My mom worked in a in a sweatshop factory making dresses, so it was really tough. And, uh, and it was just mom and I, because my, my siblings were so much older, they got married, they moved out. Uh, but she taught me a lot of values. She taught me that, you know, as poor as we were, to help others. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she's like, you know, that, uh, you know, God will help you if, uh, yeah. if you help others. And if she would see someone less fortunate, what little we had, she would always try and share. And she taught me that. It's a very important value of mine. That's because I know what it's like to be poor. So, um, I always want to see if I can help people do better, you know, and so, so much of a shame that money is looked at as something now as, you know, a negative almost to, to succeed monetarily. You know, I would say to people, listen, um, from someone who can relate to not having money, having a little money doesn't solve all your problems, but it does make your life better. But one of the best things about being able to make money is the good you can do sure. and the ways you can help others. And I think that is what gives us fulfillment. Yeah, And that's an important thing because as people could be mo- money driven or success driven. And I think you should have to some extent sure. those goals. It's important to have goals, yeah. but they can also be unhappy if they don't add fulfillment to that. And yeah. for me and many other people that comes from doing good and feeling good about your purpose and helping other people and seeing that change. And uh, I think that I think that that is a missing ingredient for people. I, I, I actually feel like in the marketing world specifically, I know a lot of people that did, they stumbled into something good and they started to make money, but they, they were kind of directionless and didn't really, they didn't know what they were going to do with it. And I, I've actually observed a lot of people that kind of wind up where this goal that they thought they were pursuing just for money, it's like they're alone, you know, they're, they don't know what, what to do, who to help. There's no one to help around them. And, and I think it is really important that you, you know, when you have access to resources like that, one of the biggest contributing factors on fulfillment, like you said, I think is sharing, is, is walking that path with other people. You know, I wanted to go back to some- okay, If I could say something, please don't forget what you're gonna say because it's gonna be important. But I also wanted to add to that, that um, you know, I made a lot of mistakes. Sure. And growing up poor and trying to achieve things and be successful and build businesses, you know, I missed out on a lot of stuff and I made sacrifices and, you know, I, I, you know, with, with a marriage that wound up, you know, not working out because I gave my ex-wife everything she wanted, but not what she needed because I was not present. And so we need to work hard, but we need to maintain yeah. balance. I mean, it could be an imbalance for a period of time, for a season, but you can't always be that way. And I fell into the trap of always being that way. So, um, you know, there's lessons we learn through life and we try and constantly get better. And 
uh, that was an important lesson for me. Well, I think that that perspective, though, of even being able to see that you had a marriage that you were you were contributing into, obviously, but it was, um, you know, there were things you, they they wanted you, not the life you could bring, right? And I think that even the ability to observe that, though, is a massive sign of like just personal growth. You know, um, I can only imagine you've had a ton of mentors over your life to help you look around corners in your own life. Yeah, of course. You know, I try and I try and learn from, you know, uh, it's almost like every person is a book, yeah. you know, and if you can get to know people and maybe take a page from their book yeah. that you can learn from, that you can incorporate, but try and learn the good. Yeah. Just look, all of us have something to offer. All of us have good. Yeah. And... Uh, if you are fortunate enough to be able to absorb that and have someone willing to to share with you, and I find most people are. You know, when I was younger, there were so many people that saw that I really I wanted to learn and I wanted to uh, to honor what they were teaching me, and they gave very very freely. Even to this day, I have people that are really good to me that um, that I learned from. To this day that I count on. That's awesome. You know your your uh, your kind of idea of giving back to and and using the the established wealth of, of your hard work kind of reminds me of um, Tony Robbins how he does the Feeding America, which I think is an awesome an awesome thing. You know to have a mission behind doing what you do. I think that's awesome. He is he is really special. I mean, I I'm that. proud to to say that he's a close friend and that's he awesome. is yeah he is. Uh, He's an incredible human being, yeah. You know, and uh, and and he has a gigantic heart. Yeah. Um, he's uh, he's a really special guy. He deserves all the success. He he's has. he's like a wonderful blend between like philanthropist and giving back, but also entrepreneur. It's like he loves the game, but he gives so much of it away yeah. still. You yeah. know, I think it's cool. Um, you had said something about wealth, and I, and I think this is actually kind of an even cooler expansion. Uh, and talking about like how your mom would like to give back what she could, uh, even you know if it wasn't much. If I recall correctly, I read in your book that your family had ninety four percent of their finances confiscated by the Turkish government. Yeah, when they left, so not bought. Your mom lost everything but six percent. She was still willing to share, and I think that that is huge. Yeah, that I mean that's got to be part of uh, the foundation of what created you as a human. You know. Yeah, I think it's important. And uh, what my mom taught me, um, the way she taught me, I should say, is what I always tried to do with my kids. And really in general, mm -hmm. is it's just the basic idea of planting seeds when the ground is fertile, yeah. you know? Like my mom didn't pontificate to me, but when there was an opportunity and she could tell that I was a curious kid and I was interested, those were the times that she planted the seeds of lessons sure. that were going to endure. and I. I try to do the same thing with my kids you yeah. know, as, as I was um, raising them, and, and hopefully that's that's turned out well. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So um, if you're watching this and you you start, maybe you're new to the industry, you don't necessarily know who Barry Habib is. He is the creator and the uh, CEO, correct, of MBS Highway, and it's a phenomenal software that helps mortgage professionals be advisors to their clients from a position of solid information and making sure they're getting exactly what that consumer needs when they need it, the numbers, all the projections. It's a beautiful tool. Um, if you haven't checked it out, I would definitely recommend it. That is not a paid plug. I just love a good software when I see one and I can tell you you've built something cool. Um, 
Why don't you talk to us, Barry, about some of the things uh, maybe through that you guys have seen in the recent, um, obviously in the market right now, it's uh, in, an interesting time for a lot of loan officers. There's uncertainty, there's fear, there's lots of doubt. Um, and I think more than anything, they could use kind of a North Star. They could use a guiding light into what should I be doing? How should I be growing? Um, and I would be curious about your perspective just through what you do at MBS Highway, um, some of the observations you've made uh, for this upcoming season and how loan officers can adapt and, and grow. I think that we all have to take responsibility to be the CEO of our own business, the CEO of our own life. Right. And imagine a big company with a very successful CEO. You have to be prudent, but you wouldn't cut all marketing, would you? You wouldn't not invest, would right. you? And investment comes in the way of time, improvement, but also in building and investing in tools, investing in resources. You got to build the top of the funnel. That's why I love what you do. Yeah. Because there's so many things that you guys do, but providing a way for them to bring in opportunities, bring in leads, bring in exposure. That's such a critical element. And yet it's curious to me why people don't see that, you right. know? So I admire what you do and so many people that I talk to that you help so, to such a great degree. So that CEO mentality, it really changes everything. When you start viewing it as a CEO, you know, if you're a realtor, if you're a loan originator, whatever your business is, you should look at how am I feeding the machine? How am I, right. how am I bringing that in? And then how am I converting that? And then how am I differentiating myself? Am I fighting the same battle as everybody else is? Am I trying to sell or am I trying to advise? And it's curious to me because, you know, we're in the mortgage industry. I mean, we touch other things, but let's just say focus yeah. for a minute in the mortgage industry, sure. real estate. It, it's it's shocking to me that someone would get a potential client on the phone and that's gold. Okay. Yeah. You, the, you have to nurture that because this is an opportunity. You either turn it into a liability where what you've done now, think about if you don't convert that transaction, what happens? You lose time, which is the only irreplaceable asset, right. right? So the value of time is huge and you've just it's wasted gone. it. It's gone. So you, it, that's a big expense. And in addition to that, debatably the biggest, I, I agree with you. And then in addition to that, think about what starts to happen with the source of that referral. If it were, let's just say a real estate agent mm. okay, or a previous client, if they send someone to you and you don't convert it, they're going to only do that for so long. Right. Okay. It, it, it just, because if you don't convert it, it's a bad reflection on them by sending it to you. Well, and they risk and now they, they could lose the deal because exactly. the time is exactly. gone by, the balls drop, yeah. the person goes, I'll just stay renting. Yes. Or yeah. Or they just choose someone else. Right. Right. So they choose another person who's a competitor. Now, what we really need to do is stop doing the things in the mortgage profession, like, you know, making the focal point interest rate because someone's always going to be cheaper or making the focal point how to get a loan approved because guess what this can do that faster cheaper and more accurately than any yeah. of us can so it's a loser's game that people are playing they're playing a game that they're setting themselves up for failure because there's no way you win at that yeah you can't always be the cheapest and 
somebody will be faster or somebody will figure it out the same. It's, it's, it's limited in scope. But if you transition into insights and advice, right? and believe me, there's a huge difference between knowledge and wisdom. Sure. If you can impart wisdom, people will pay for that. People will pay more right. for that. So I think what we need to do is make an enormous investment as a CEO in our brain. Yeah. Imagine a software company or a biotech company that says, we're going to cut R&D, no research and development. How long are you going to be around for? Because right. somebody's going to pass you up, right? Uh, we're going to cut, cut marketing. Well, okay, you could have a great product, but then who knows that you yeah. do, okay? And then the people around you, your team, because that's what really makes the magic happen. And understanding what the highest and best uses of your time is going to be, what you really need to do is, if you think about it, there's three really critical aspects to the selling process, right? There's prospecting. You get somebody, and then the second process selling right and then the third process which is a follow-up or it could be maintenance or post transaction okay so maintenance during or post transaction there's only one place in that process you make money only one there's only right. one place you make money and that's the actual selling correct now and when i say selling that's the interaction with the customer to show them the opportunity of working with you you're not trying to sell them something that doesn't fit for them okay you're really advising in the sales right. process so the smartest thing you could do is focus on that, be an absolute master of your craft when it comes to those opportunities, outsource the prospecting part because that's an investment you make. You need to make because if you start to, you don't make money while you're doing that. You only make money selling. So the more you take away from this, the less money you make. Now, there's spots that you pick where you make the key appearance. There's spots in the follow-up where you come in as the, as the hero role or the heroine role and you come in or where you solve the problem, or where there's an issue you have to, of course. And then there's the post-transaction. Those things need to be automated so that the limited resource of time is focused on that as your main focus of activity. But you have to be a master of your craft yeah. because, okay, I'm focusing all my time, but if I don't have value or advice or wisdom to impart, my closing ratio is in the toilet. Yeah. You want to be a tiger where you're going to you're going to blow people away with your wisdom to the point that they're going to say, oh, my God, what, what else am I going to miss if I don't mm -hmm. work with you? Yeah, because the lowest price, the lowest rate on the wrong strategy on something as important as purchasing a home or taking Huge. out a mortgage. It's so much more expensive to get the lowest price or the lowest rate than to get a competitive price or rate on the right strategy or game yeah. plan or opportunity. You know, one of the things that I've always said to our clients when I'm consulting is people seek price in the absence of value. Mm -hmm. And the second layer to that is value as a concept based on need. And I usually give this example where it's like, you know, imagine that you stub your toe and you don't know if it's broken or not, but it's, it, it's still painful, right? So it's like, you gotta do something. Well, you're just gonna go to urgent care, right? You don't care who does it you're good you just want the x-ray you just want to make sure the toe's okay maybe you tape it to the next toe and you keep going with your life right you literally don't care you want the cheapest fastest option right now if your child has a brain tumor you're not looking at the, the price sheets you want the best you want the best you're flying to denver you're flying to seattle right you're going to st jude's where wherever you have to go and you'll figure the money out and so i always use that example is like Depend, you know, people seek price in the absence of value, 
But if something's valuable enough, people aren't even looking at the numbers. If it's life or death for their kid, which is debatably one of the most valuable things for most people, it exposes, it's, it's the extreme part of the example, but it exposes this paradigm of like, if you can communicate the real value of this transaction and what you have to offer, people will look past the... You know, but you right. can't get what you don't have. So you have, to, you have to clearly spend the time, invest the time, be knowledgeable enough and understand the market. So that's a good transition into what your initial question was actually um, about the markets, about yeah. what we can expect. So I, I, and I think the word you use was season, and I think that's very appropriate because uh, I see this as a season. It's a difficult season. Yeah. Because we have seen interest rates rise to levels that many people haven't seen in their careers. Right. And when you have the existing marketplace of mortgages at a lower rate than you have currently, it's difficult to find opportunities for refinances. Sure. That means everyone who's in the business is trying to fight for purchases, but yet not only is there more competition, but there's more competition for fewer transactions. Right. I mean, while the media is not doing us any help because the media loves a bad story, you yeah. know, the media if it knows. And it leads, it leads. Yes, it does. And fear sells. Yeah. So sex sells and fear sells. So you have an opportunity for the media to do fear porn here. So uh, <laughs> so what we see yeah. happening is a, a difficult series of events. And what we need to do is rise above that and persevere because the good news, and here's a spoiler alert, is that good news is on the way. We are, if, if we take a look at the housing market and interest rates, right now the housing market activity is slowing. There's fear in people's minds and the perception is causing people to not pursue that purchase of a right. In actuality, this is the time to do that because now I don't have to spend $50,000 over asking price. I don't have to put myself in a position where I have to forego an inspection or even an appraisal in order to yeah. get this transaction um, consummated. Now you can behave in a more normal manner right. and protect yourself and get terms and even get a discounted price potentially where you can negotiate like you've always been able to, yeah. right? So this is a more normal situation. People don't buy home and sell it tomorrow. They don't buy it today and sell it tomorrow. It's you know, ridiculous. Right. They typically don't buy a home today and sell it in three months. Okay. Maybe some people look at their portfolio of stocks every day, but who does an appraisal on their home every day, right? So if we understand the big picture, real estate values aren't going to go down and stay down. And that, you know, Real estate values are going to tread water from here. They, they'll probably, between now and next year, be up slightly. Some markets may be down slightly, but that's the key, slightly. Yeah. But that's the next year. An average person is going to be in that home 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years. During that time frame, you'll do exceptionally well. And you'll have the opportunity in two ways to make your payments easier as opposed to renting. One, you can refinance from this rate, which I'll talk about in a moment. And there will be an opportunity to do so. And two is that you're fixing a payment in over 90% of the cases, or at least an, a, a, an adjustable if you choose one, which make up about 9%, many of them are fixed for several years initially, right? right? So these make your, your payments over time better than renting, which will go up. But the real key that people fail to look at is that incomes are going up rather significantly now, right. typically around 9% a year, jobs, 
where people have stayed are seeing a 7.6% increase. If they're switching jobs, they're seeing 16%. Mm -hmm. So let's take a blended 9%. That is often discounted. That's an important consideration. It's critical because people typically have a hard time seeing it, especially the media, especially our government, especially our Fed. They can't see much further than, right. than here, right? So as we look into the future, well, well, next year that payment stays fixed, but my income goes up. Next year that payment stays fixed, my income goes up again. And it starts to get easier. And then what about if next year I refinance? So let's talk about that. Because mortgage rates are not driven by the Fed. Mortgage rates are driven by inflation. Very few people even in our industry understand this. So we have seen inflation rise and accordingly mortgage rates have risen because the provider of that mortgage, the lender of that mortgage has to understand they're receiving a fixed payment the buying power, what they could buy with that payment, becomes more rapidly eroded if inflation goes up. And that's where we are now. So in order to offset that more rapid rate of erosion, the only defense that they have is start at a higher perch by charging a higher rate that offsets that erosion. When inflation is very low, there's little erosion, you can offer a lower rate. As inflation's moved up, you have to compensate for that with a higher rate. That's just the way it works. So few people, even in our business, understand that. Where's inflation going will tell us where rates are going, which will tell us where the housing market's going. Inflation's going to peak in the fourth quarter. Mm. To be specific, I'll give you a month that it will peak. It will be October of 2022. The data won't come out to confirm that until November. At that point in time, interest rates will have reached their highest level. It'll either happen in October or November of this year. I feel like I'm on the inside of a scheme to like, I don't, the, the fact that you have such insight into the future for things that aren't here yet, I think is mind blowing. Well, thank you. That's our job to see the future before yeah. it becomes obvious. Yeah. So you will start to see interest rates on mortgages begin their decline. And sometime between the fourth quarter of this year and the first quarter of next year, rates will be below 5%. When rates are below 5% and they start with a number four, a lot of things happen. Half the mortgages, as I mentioned before, are below 4%, but half of them are above 4%. Rate and term becomes real again. You start to see opportunities to refinance. So that will pick up. Psychologically, as buyers see the opportunity, okay, if rates are at six, but now they're at four and three quarters or four and a half, uh, that's a lot easier times. The, opportunity, media, yeah. the media stops beating the drum because they will be wrong once again on the negativity in the housing market. They will stop pounding the table they will realize once again that they're incorrect. You, know, you gotta remember, the media has been dead wrong, you know, and, and the opportunists out there, the people like, you know, Grant Cardone and even the negativity that Gary Vee, who's a brilliant guy, has mentioned. And I know a lot of people yeah. like him and I respect a lot of this thing, but on housing, he's been incorrect. The media, you know, calling this savagely unhealthy, the media calling this, you know, where, where Diana Olick every day, three times a day, tries to scare people been wrong for a long time. Diana Oak's been wrong for 10 years. Yeah. So any chance she's going to have to think that she could take a victory lap, she's going to do that. Sure. And, of course. Um, they will be proven wrong once again as we get some treading water in the housing market. And then we will start to see appreciation. Now, we're not going to see 18%. President, 4%, 5%. That is not a bad thing. I want people to really understand this point. If real estate goes up, and it's historically gone up, up between four and a half and five and a half percent, so let's just say four percent. Okay, it is not a bad thing, and I want people to understand why leverage is so critical here. If you buy a home for four hundred thousand dollars and you put ten percent down, 
your investment is $40,000. Now the monthly payment, you're gonna have to make a monthly payment somewhere. It's gonna either be renting or it's gonna be purchasing. So, so they're gonna, that's gonna work out. And if people say, well, the purchase is a little bit more expensive in the payment, once you account for the principal portion, which is your own money, it's typically cheaper than renting anyway. So that's part of the equation. So you've got a payment. So I put $40,000 is my investment on a $400,000 property. Right. That goes up 4%. I've You literally just got your money back. Well, you made $16,000 yeah. as a 4% increase on a $400,000 home. A $16,000 profit on a $40,000 investment. That's great. That's 40, 40 percent rate of return. That's fantastic. Net worth. Yeah. It's important. We all want to have a good net worth, right? How do we stack up? A study was done by Kiplingers. And if you want to be in rarefied air, you want to be in the top 1% of the United States, let's take all of your assets, subtract all your liabilities. That'll give you your net worth. Right. If you have $10.8 million, you're in the top 1% rarefied air. Okay, so what about the top 2%? That's pretty darn good, right? It drops significantly. 2.5 million. Really? 2.5 million, you are in the top 2% of the United no States. Yes. Hold on. To be in the top 5%, it's a million dollars. You're in the top 5% if that's your net worth. If you're in the top 10%, it's 800,000. If you're in the top 50%, it's a half a million dollars. But here's the big point wow. of it all. Here's the big point. A lot of big drop-offs there. Here's the big point. According to the study in Kiplinger's, two-thirds of that net worth, you know where it came from? Real Worth estate. It. So you got to be in the game. Yeah. If you want to be in the top net worth, you need to have real... And that's why so many have made their wealth through real estate. Right. The critical thing that we have to understand is that what the media is trying to do is hold you back and hold you down. Yeah, it's what the media is trying to do is fear mongering. What the media is trying to do is either sell tickets or get eyeballs to sell advertising right. because they know that fear sells and they don't care that it puts you in the bottom 50% if you miss out. All they care about is their objective. Yeah, 100%. And, and also one point I want to make for the loan officer watching this you know, we had talked about the, the, the products that are really, you know, in, in a market like this that are working for loan officers, right? Rate in terms dead. Cash out, or currently speaking, as we're shooting this, um, it's very rare that you're going to do rate in term. Uh, cash out, obviously, debt consolidation type stuff that's happening still uh, from time to time. But one of the things that our clients have seen a lot of success with, and I would advocate that you try to make this your mindset and your mental focus, is that every purchase that they fund now in this season with the fives, with the sixes, those in a year to two years. Less than that. You're you're building this beautiful. You get a two for one. Yeah, you get a two for one. You get one. a two for one. All you're doing right now is if your income's cut in half now, all you're doing is you're kind of taking half of it now, but you get the other half when you refinance that person. Beautiful. Yeah. You yeah. know, a lot of times people will come to me and go, Preston, how do I get my cost per acquisition down 10 or 20%? You want to know how you get it down 50%? sell two loans to the same person. So if you're looking at it long game, you know, it's like, it's not about how you get the cheap leads. It's about how you build the strongest relationship and how you work with this person through a myriad of transactions and build that dynamic with and, them. And, and if I may add to that, you also dramatically reduce your cost of acquisition if you increase your batting average. Batting average being 
conversation application. True. And while rate is a consideration, no doubt, hey, listen, I originated loans for a very long time, so I get it, I understand it. Um, so rate is a very important consideration, but it is truly the wisdom. As human beings, psychologically, we will make the decision whether we feel like we wanna work with someone or not in the first five to 10 minutes of that conversation. Are you sounding like everybody else? Are you offering everybody else? And they can cut through the bullshit right away if yeah, they're trying to, oh man, yeah. If, you, if you're focused on all, the niceties are fine, but if that's all you're about, that's gonna go away very, very quickly. You can't do five or 10 minutes of just bullshit. Okay? Yeah. You, you have to show them that the insight that you're giving them, the wisdom that you're giving them has differentiated you and you need them to say, as I mentioned before, uh, what else am I gonna miss if I don't do business with you? Are you showing them what the expected appreciation is, what the opportunities are, what it looks like compared to other areas? What are the benefits of this marketplace for you? Once you start show, showing them that you have these insights, they're gonna gravitate to you and they'll send everybody they know to you. Yeah, I would agree. Well, that's one of the things that we've always consulted on is you know, about, cause like a lot of people come to us and, and they get the lead, right? And then they get excited cause they turn this lead into a pre-approval and then it turns into a funded loan. And it's like, that's beautiful. But that was the seed. That was not the end of this. That was the beginning, right? And it's like, that was the catalyst to get the reviews, to get the referrals, to get the refinances, right? It's like one deal really should be five to eight if we're building this like a business, not just the one and done and I'm on to the next one. It's like, well, cost for acquisition goes up quite exponentially if you're just doing one deal and moving on like you're a nomad, you know? Look, if you sit down with a customer and they'll tell you how much mortgage amount they want, but what if you said, well, hold on, if, if you borrow this much instead and paid this off, then what happens to your cash flow? If you borrowed this much and I see that you've got a three-year-old daughter, what if you now use this as the opportunity to fund their college? or what if you, since you don't have adequate retirement savings, contemplated that today? Yeah. What if you show people how they can accelerate a payment or explain the average? How many, how many loan originators sit down with a customer and explain how the amortization schedule works? How many? Very few. few. But those could be the ones that differentiate themselves sure. because their competition is not doing that. Because trust me, your client is clueless on how the amortization schedule works in the vast majority of cases. Most originators are. Uh, if you become an expert in these areas, if you were able to have that conversation with the customer, almost like some of the stuff we talked about, what's happening in the market, where's it going, when will I be able to refinance, what's gonna happen to my income, you could take somebody who thought they were gonna rent and turn them into a buyer. Yeah, I see that happen quite a bit when I listen to calls. So. Um, one of, one of the things that I wanted to dive in there is, is you know, as we're talking about, you had mentioned like am amortization and all of that. And I think that that's really critical. But, you know, one of the things that really blows my mind time and time again in this is how complex loan officers also um, tend to make. It gets very techno babbly about products, FHA, VA, like all. And it's like, that's nice. And you should know that. But one of the things that so many people forget is the average American has a third grade financial literacy. And it's like, you need to add value, but you need to keep it simple. You know, it needs to be something they can digest. And I actually love, you know, I didn't, and this is just context for the people watching. I've actually watched Barry do a presentation, multiple presentations now live. And when you get to see it, he's got the charts and the numbers and the graphs, and he's talking about inflation and, and he's talking about how building 20 or 30 years ago is impacting the current inventory. Mind blowing stuff, by the way. 
um, the, you know, when you see it like that and you have the supporting pictures and images and you can see the lines, it's data driven and it's so much less of an emotional thing. And I have, it is no, it's no wonder to me why a consumer would look at what you put together. I mean, and this is through MBS Highway, you, you, you've made this streamlined for your users, right? So it's no surprise to me that a consumer can see something that one of your users would put together and go, Oh yeah. Well, that seems that that makes sense. Preston, so much of so much of the world's problems would be solved with better communication. Right. And communication, it's not easy. But here's the secret to being a great communicator. So first, let's think about what communication is. It's an idea that's in my brain. It's intangible, right? What I'm trying to do is take this idea and put it inside your brain. Mm -hmm. How I get that to you could be used with a few different things. I could use words, I could use pictures, I could use numbers, I could use text. There, there are different ways to get that, right? Here's the mistake people make. Once they've learned a concept or once they have an idea in their head, they forget that the person they're trying to communicate to does not have that idea. They didn't get the benefit of walking down that path and absorbing and putting the pieces together and coming up with a conclusion. So they take the conclusion and they want to plant it. The other person's like, the frig are you talking about, right? Right. Now they oftentimes don't admit it, they nod their head, but you have a breakdown in communication and it's an unsuccessful relationship or transaction right. that occurs. You don't want to deal with somebody you don't understand. Yeah. People will pay more to work with somebody that they understand as opposed to paying less with some, than somebody they don't. So what we have to do is metaphorically hold the hand of that individual and take them through the journey of how you got there. Now you want to take them on the expressway, okay? You want to take the, but give them enough so they can understand how to arrive at the same conclusion <laughs> and what the rationale is. If you do that, you're a master communicator. And if you're a master communicator, you're an influencer. You can, you can do so many things if you can have people understand what you're saying. Yeah. You will achieve so much more in so much less yeah. time beyond your wildest dreams. This is one secret that if people master this and understand just the concept, because once you understand it, just do it. Um, success is almost inevitable. Yeah. No, it's true. You know, one thing um, that I are you a fan of Disney, like the Disney parks? Well, I, I, I've visited them many times because I've had young kids. You got kids. And, yeah. and uh, you know, I, I it, it's nice to see, but uh, but they, what they've done is incredible. Yeah. So I w we went to a mastermind at uh, we were at um, Hollywood Studios in Florida, and uh, it was me, uh, McBilly, a few other market, about ten other marketers. And after the mastermind was ended, we had gone to the to Hollywood Studios um, just to you know let loose, have fun. You know, we just spent the whole weekend working, and. It was beautiful because it was during COVID. And during COVID, one of the things that was interesting about Disney was there was a lot less people. And and it allowed me to have this perspective. And, I, and I'm going to bring this back to what you were just talking about because I think it, it paints a really good picture. Um, when I was at Disney, there were no lines. There was nobody. And so you start to realize that Disney kind of needs the line. It kind of needs you to go through those bends, to walk around the corners, because of because that's where most of the entertainment and the energy Disney puts into the ride is. The attraction's not the actual thing you're going around loops. The attraction is all the cool stuff happening around you in the line. 
And so it's kind of like to taking a person, a borrower through a transaction where you gotta, you gotta give them enough to get excited to go around that first corner, right? And you gotta give them enough to go around the second corner, but it has to look like they're not far from the ride. And they go through enough of those corners to where they round a corner and they go, oh, I thought it was by the ride, whatever. But now, but now they're mentally committed. They're on the journey. Yeah, you're right? committed, dude. Yeah. What's wrong now? You're committed, yeah. Dad. But you're entertaining them on the way. You know, if Disney put no energy into the line and you just had to wait two hours for a three-minute ride, people would bounce. They'd go, ah, it's not worth it, right? But because they've built that entertainment into the, 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 the line waiting for the ride, people are willing to spend those hours. And it was just kind of like I got to see behind the curtain and, and the illusion broke. And uh, we were at that ride. Um, uh, it's the Galaxy, uh, I guess, Star Wars one. I can't oh, Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. You know. Millennium Falcon. Yeah. And there was nobody. And so we're just walking by and, and you can just see all the stuff that they've built to keep you engaged throughout this. And then we finally made it to the ride. And I was like, oh, my God, I actually enjoyed the line more than the ride when I didn't have to wait. And, it, and, and I was like reflecting on that. And I was like, oh, my God, this is literally just like what our loan officers are, are dealing with in these transactions, if they can focus on creating an experience in the line, people will be willing to wait for the ride. And it's like everybody wants homeownership. Obviously, everybody wants the ride, but nobody creates a nice line. Everybody expects the line to just be barren and put all the energy into the ride. And it's like, that's not how this works. If you can't make the line worth standing in, you're gonna have a hard time to get business. You have a hard time pe getting people on the ride. And it was just something that, you know, going back to what you're talking about is creating sufficient value and giving them enough to want to do business with you, to want to keep going with you. You know, I listen to a lot of calls, Barry, where you, you have that moment where the loan officer either is talking about themselves or their products too much and not asking enough questions, not getting engaged. Um, you could tell, you literally, when you listen to the replay, you can hear the deflation in the person's voice. You can hear them kind of break break down, right? And it's like, kind of breaks my heart because if the person, if the loan officer were just to spend a little bit more time getting to know the dreams of that person, the why, what their motivations are so that they can actually solve the problems, right? And that's one of the things I think is beautiful about MBS Highway and your, your more advisor approach is you're not just doing a mortgage, bada bing, bada boom, you got a home, you know? It's not like they're just buying it from a hot dog stand. You're like, these 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 people that are using your platform, they know that you have a kid that needs college savings. They know that you have debt you need to pay debt. They, they've been listening. They've been aware of the situation of these borrowers. I, and that allows them to advise at a whole nother level. Yeah, when I was an originator and you know, but I, I did my share loans for a long period of time, I, um, I would ask the customer something that I think would surprise them. I said, okay, so what are you most worried about? And the first thing that they would talk about is something related to the mortgage, like, you know, closing on time or, you know, the payment or, you know, am I tapping myself? So this was the first thing. And that's okay. So, and obviously we're just in this, you know, aside from that, what are you most worried about? And just think about that for a second. Well, you know, worried about my kid's college, you know, worried about mm. you know, my retirement, worried about sometimes it was hell. But you take it to a personal level. Yeah. And then what you're able to do is if you 
again, you can't give what you don't have. But if you have an understanding of ways to create wealth and you implant that, talk about planting a seed when the ground's fertile, mm. that changes the whole relationship. I mean, something just as, there's the question. Yeah. You can't ask questions and find out if you continuously try to sell, right? Right. So this, this is a important way to bond and build the relationship with that customer is to, is to ask them, what are they really concerned about? Yeah. What, what are your concerns? You know, what, what, are, what are you most worried about? You know, can, we, can we use this financial tool to help address some of them mm. and structure this in a way that helps ease some of yeah. your worries? How much is that worth? That reminds me of, uh, we, we have a sales principle at, uh, we have to wrap it up here. Okay. If you want to do like a closing and then like a plug. Yeah, I got you. I'll go down. We have a sales principle, a good vibe squad where we, uh, for, for our sales team, it's just simple. It's salon, S-E-L-L-A-N. And it's an, it's an Anglo-Saxon old Germanic word. It's actually the origin of sales and it means to give. And that's really what it's like my sales process. If, if, if we know we're doing the right thing, if we're giving. Right. It's like we're making the right sales if we're giving, if we're selling, if we're selling by the conventional, you know, we're, we're talking, we're pushing. So what am I giving? Right. And so it's like, that's what I always advise our team. It's like, what are you giving? Give your time, give your expertise, give your energy, your attention, right? Add value. If you add value, people will want to do business. Yeah. In the book, we talk about most relationships. People begin the relationship by asking, so really want to build a relationship, start the relationship by offering, by yeah. giving. What is it that I can do? How can I help? Do the research, do the homework, find out what it is. Don't just, don't just go into a situation and blindly try and sell somebody. You know, imagine if you, if you, if you, you passed someone and you said, you know what? Hey, you're um, relatively attractive. What do you say we get married and have kids? I mean, they, they want to call the police on you, right? Yeah. But that's kind of like what we do when right. we approach a referral source, right? So I think initially what we really need to try to do is do some research on them and understand what they're about, what they do. Yeah. It's worth it to invest the time in a referral source so that you can serve them better. There's so much social media, there's so much that you could do where you can begin the process by maybe doing something creative, pull one of their listings, create something for that listing that helps them sell without asking for anything and say, maybe this could help you. You know, we can do this type yeah. of thing for you. Those are the types of ways that you can enter a relationship more warmly. I love it. Barry, we could talk all day. Yeah. I, I really am grateful for your time. Um, there's been a ton of value here for you uh, in this in this episode. Um, I would I would advocate if you're watching this now still um, and you're not an MBS Highway user, I would strongly advocate that you go to mbshighway.com. Correct? mbshighway.com. Check it out. The pricing's phenomenal. I, I personally don't think they charge enough, um, but they're adding value and they're allowing you to add value. Is there any final words that you would like to add? For I just want to thank you because you and McBilly do a lot of good for a lot of people and there's a lot of originators out there that are navigating this market in no small degree to the help that you have given them. So yeah. I want to thank you for doing so much good for our industry, so much good for, for those people and more people need to be connected to you. Awesome, I appreciate you Barry. Thanks yeah. for being on. Got it.